This is exactly right. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I'm Kate Winkler Dawson, a journalist, author, and podcast host. And I'm Paul Holes, a retired investigator with experience solving some of America's most notorious cold cases. Together, we host Buried Bones, a historical true crime podcast on the Exactly Right Network. Each week, we examine a different case from history and use our years of experience and 21st century forensics to bring new insights into these very old tragedies. Like the time the Sausage King of Chicago's wife went missing in 1897. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday. Follow Buried Bones wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of I Saw What You Did. My name is Millie DeCherico. I'm Danielle Henderson. And uh, we are Skosk excited to be here with you today talking about film. No one's going to know what that means until... You have to explain that or else they're going to think you're having a stroke. (laughs) They already think that just normally. Every episode is us just in mental decline. Listen, so I know we talked about this at some point, I think on a bonus, but somebody did email us and it was it was like a funny email saying, oh, I was listening to the podcast and then suddenly Millie's voice got really slow (laughs) and I thought she was having a stroke. And as it turns out, I accidentally pressed the button that changes the speed of the episode. And <laughs> But my voice apparently didn't change at all. <laughs> Which I Which love. <laughs> That's makes me wonder, part. like, well, how do I sound in general? That's the best part. <laughs> well, and then, because like, when I read the first part of the email, I was like, oh my God, I started freaking out because I was like, what if that happens? What if somebody f- listens to an episode and is like, Oh my gosh, she like has an inoperable brain tumor. I can hear it in her voice. (laughs) Like you need to go to the doctor immediately. It's like that show. What's that? I don't even know the show, but it's like an HGTV show where the guy apparently, one of the hosts of this HGTV show had like some kind of bump on his neck. And this viewer was watching the show and said, I'm a nurse. You should get that checked out. And as it turns out, it was like a cancerous tumor. Oh my God. I know. And so since I heard about that story, I was like, oh, no. Like, what if what if somebody listens to an episode and is like. I can hear it. She's her hairline's receding. Like what? What if our listeners are like those cats that sit on beds at nursing homes and they're like, you're the next one that's going to (laughs) die. Yes. (laughs) Like some. Like, again, like that old lady from the Banshees of Inishirin, just like this, this extra sense. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> freaked out by that. But anyway, I'm glad it, I'm glad that it was literally just somebody pressing a button wrong and not. An but you illness. still, you still have to tell them what Skosk is or else they're going to be. Oh, uh, okay. Firing exactly. up those, those feline death mongers. Skosk stands for. Serial killer of self-care. Yeah. We're going to play it once again. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. But it's my turn. I'm so excited. 
Oh, I know. It is your turn. The last time we played Serial Killer or Self Care, aka Skosk, it, it was like an epic, oversized episode because you did it for summer. It was 10 questions. We got a lot of feedback about it, as we always do. So, um, and you got a lot of them right. You got most of them right. Yeah, all but one. That nobody one... knows me. Nobody knows me like you, Millie. <laughs> wow, that's I'm honored. Um, and that's just because we have to talk to each other on a podcast so often that I've picked up so many details about Plus, I your can't, life. I can't stop sending you in our just in our work, yes, but in our friendship, I can't stop sending you those weird baby doll. <laughs> videos on Instagram like you get the the sense of my humor and what's going on in my head through the memes I send you all the time. Okay, for for these folks that have no idea what we're talking about once again. So Danielle sends me memes constantly. It's a pure source of joy for me every day. <laughs> Somehow Danielle has gotten on this algorithm on Instagram of these I want to say they're South American. I don't know where these videos are being produced. Me either. Me either. And they're from multiple sources, not just one source. Absolutely. Basically, somebody is taking like an an actual doll that looks like an infant and is making it dance and twerk and all this stuff. (laughs) And the music is like super duper fast, like electronic music. And it's so fucking funny and weird. And my algorithm is so permanently fucked, and I love it. You know, it's so funny because anytime I've sent those videos to other people in my life, they're like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, <laughs> clearly it's just a Danielle and I thing then. Totally. Like we're the only two people on earth that, thinks that, that think that that's funny, and everybody else thinks we're broken. So, anyway. Well, we, have these, we have these two things. We know each other well, and I can't wait for this round. Right. It's, this one's a fast one. It's only five questions. Okay. But more potential for you to get things wrong or right, I will say. I have a feeling you're going to breeze through all of them just because... <laughs> no pressure. No, no pressure. pressure. Okay. So, serial killer or self-care? Question number one. Not... Doing the wobble when it comes on at a party or family reunion. Oh, for you, serial killer. Absolutely 100% correct. (laughs) I mean, you do the wobble in the grocery store if the music hits right. (laughs) I get so fucking pissed when you're like at a thing and then the wobble comes on and people are like, no, I don't do that. I don't do it. There are songs that are designed for you to shake your ass and act a fool. And you have to just go with it. Like, let go of yourself and just just be part of it. Yes. I went to one of my one of my friends in my dance class, Patrice, the best, simply the best. Her and her twin brother had this like 50th birthday party a while ago. And it was so fucking fun. You know, our dance teacher was the DJ. He was, like, totally all the way up. He's awesome. But then, like, you know, obviously we were doing, like, the wobble and all that stuff. And, like, I watched, like, at least three husbands with, like, this shitty look on their face. Like, I'm not getting up and dancing. I don't 
dance in public. I don't do, and I was just like, look at the joy in this room. Everybody is doing Thank the wobble. You. And it's just like, it's an easy dance to learn. If you just watch people do it for five seconds, you'll you'll catch it. And it's just like a fun way to like, I don't know, move through a party. And yes. so if you're not, if you are being that shitty person that's like, I refuse to do it, you're a serial killer. As far as I'm concerned. I'm right there with you. And you know me, I don't I don't have the kind of joy in my heart that makes me want to dance on the on the regs. <laughs> I just don't have it. But at a party, if there's a song like that that comes on, I'm out there. At most parties, I will still dance and make a fool of myself, even though I don't have any moves. I'm very bad at it. It doesn't matter. But you don't need moves for like the wobble. No. Or the electric slide, really. You don't no. need, you know. I'm just saying, like, and on, on top of that, it's like, I don't know. To me, it feels like, just do it. Just, just do fucking it. do it. There, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't require any, like, intricate dance moves. It doesn't even really require joy. Like, there are no. people in there going, all right, fine, I'll do it, fine. They're not loving it, but they're doing it. So, come No, on. you could be a mean drunk and still do the wobble. You can, how about this for, for a sound bite, for a ringtone? Just do the stanky leg. Ha! Will you just do the stanky leg, please? Will you do it for me, for all of us, for humanity? I love the stanky leg. Don't even get me started. The stanky <laughs> leg is harder than the wobble, P.S. <laughs> so. I'm making anyway. a t-shirt just for you and me that says, I love the stanky leg. I love <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I got if, it right. If Thank nobody God. else buys our merch and it's just us buying our own merch, I'm totally, totally fine. cool with it. Um, okay, so you got one right. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. You at least got 20%. Okay, here we go. Number two, serial killer self-care. <laughs> Screaming at people who are massively jaywalking from the open window of your car. For you, that is a serial killer move. Uh, actually, <laughs> that's okay. It's self-care, babe. Self-care. Oh, shit. Okay, explain massively jaywalking. Maybe that's the holdup. <laughs> well, honestly, that's a hard one because it can go truly either way. I personally, okay, this is the thing about moving back to Atlanta that I have really, it has really become very clear that literally nobody goes to a crosswalk. Like, ever. <laughs> ever. And it happens in all parts of town. All parts, rich, poor, you know, busy, desolate, whatever you want to... Nobody crosses out a crosswalk. And I guess it's because I've adjusted my perspective on that because of living in L.A. And it's like everybody tries to follow the rules there because if you don't, if you jaywalk, you will get killed. Like, period. Right. Yeah. In Atlanta, that's the same scenario, too, where you're just like, yo, there are people who, like, breeze through red lights going, like, 75 miles an hour. Oh, my God. So when people are jaywalking, it enrages me because I'm just like, you are ruining the flow of traffic, but also you're putting yourself in danger. Yes. And I'll tell you right now, I live across the street from a giant golf course, so there are drunk white dudes Mm. massively jaywalking all the time. No. See, that, that, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Because I think, I was thinking, oh, they're just in a crosswalk and they're slow or they're talking to a friend. But, like, there's no crosswalk involved. There's just people zombie walking all over the roads. I would be totally. screaming out my window, too. Oh, yeah. 
And and that so that's what I did. Like the other the other week, there was some event going on, and there was just like five bros who were who didn't even really look. They were like just, hey guys, we no. own the world, so we get to walk wherever we want to. And I literally rolled down my window and was like, "You motherfuckers!" <laughs> I think that's why it's also surprising to me because I've never seen you shout out of a car window. Oh, I listen alone. I I have, I kind of all rules kind of go out the window, but I, it (laughs) felt so good to do that though, dude. I was like, fucking, I was high for the rest of the weekend. (laughs) Yes. Like, and then one of them like does the whole like, like that, like, (laughs) They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Yeah. They just think they can get away with it. And it's dangerous for everyone involved. I agree. I'm so glad you're So yelling at them for jaywalking is self-care to the max for me. So anyway. All right. I'm sad I got it wrong, but I'm I glad that it's too. happening. I'm glad that you're doing it. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> okay. So you're one and one right now. One correct, one, one wrong. Okay. So the third, the third for serial killer self-care being a fashion expert. Serial killer. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Did not even have to think about it. Didn't <laughs> even have to tee it up. Absolute serial killer. I'm talking to my girl who sleeps in the, the triple XL sound garden t-shirt every night. <laughs> also, you have I'm your about own to choke in- on my own spit. <laughs> Hold on. You have your own incredible sense of style. I have never seen you look at something and say, oh, I should try that. Like, you just do what you got to do. And I know that we have talked about this when we've been shopping before about trends and shit coming back and like all. Yes, absolute serial killer territory. Look, I mean, far be it for me to like call out experts at this point. I, You know, I present myself as an expert on something. Right. But for some reason... Somebody who calls themselves a fashion expert and then, like, doles out this asinine shit. Like, socks are over, guys. Like, no (laughs) socks. Nobody Ah. wears socks anymore. You're a nerd if you wear socks. (laughs) See, this, this is what rubs me the wrong way. I'm not against experts. I'm not against experts. I'm against the fact that everybody thinks they're an expert. That's what fucks me up. Because I'm like, from your perch... In your limited existence, how do you get to tell me what to do? <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. I like socks. I'm wearing fucking socks. And these are the same people who made, like, Seinfeld fashion popular for a couple of years. <laughs> I'm not taking advice from someone wearing, like, baggy, high-waisted mom jeans and Reeboks. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> oh, I got married in Skechers. <laughs> and that's the only shoe you should be wearing at your wedding brides and i'm like what the fuck like what? it's truly the I, I read the strategist all the time and that is the part of it when it comes to makeup and fashion i just ignore every single article i'm like tell me about organizers for my home tell me about bed sheets tell me about other things but i cannot take advice on what kind of wallet i should be carrying from someone who's trying to extol the virtues of a velcro wallet because they've been paid by big Velcro. The big Velcro. Because <laughs> like, uh, that's, that's always what's underlying all of these experts. It's like, how much shit did you get sent for free 
How much yeah. do you have to tell us this is the new trend? Like those big Stanley bottles. I'm like, they just sent a bunch of free fucking Stanley insulated cups to people. And then you start seeing yeah. them everywhere. Yeah, no, it's totally that. It's so insidious. And like, to be honest with you, like I, the friends that I have that do this kind of work for a living, I adore them. Don't get me yeah. wrong, but they're also serial killers. Admit that you're a serial killer if you're a fashion expert. Admit it. It's totally fine. Just lead with that. I'm a serial killer. Here's what I think you should be wearing for fall. The only fashion experts I pay attention to are women over the age of 70 on Instagram who look like they've escaped from a mental health facility. <laughs> like they escaped with all of the arts and crafts, but they're they're wearing all of the arts and crafts materials. That's yeah. it. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like... I only follow the fashion advice of like women that they take pictures of on the street and be like, well, aren't you real kooky and uh, eccentric? Like, what's your what's your secret? And it's like the secret is fucking every day or whatever. You know, it's like that uh, that interview or whatever. You know, they'll they'll say something to that effect. I was like, I'll follow that advice. But, you know, the secret is I have diarrhea every day and I need quick access to a toilet. That's why I wear breakaway shorts. <laughs> but they're not calling themselves fashion experts. Hell they're no. just like, you know, whimsical people in the city, you know? So exactly. Anyway. I agree. Serial killer all the way. Okay. So you've gotten now two right, one wrong. Number four, serial killer or self-care. This is going to be easy for you. <laughs> I, I can't even believe I wrote it, to be honest. <laughs> Going to a dinner in someone's home and decimating most of the cheese board by yourself within the first 15 to 20 minutes of being there. This is actually hard for me. (gasps) (laughs) This is actually hard. I'm going to say serial killer for you. Oh my God, no! It's self-care. It's that self-care. is so hard because I think it's self-care for me. But I also know <laughs> that like when you go to someone's house or someone's party, you're so like polite and joyous and with it and in it. I can't imagine you hunching over a cheese board, not talking to people for 15 minutes when you go to a fucking party. I did it like a couple <laughs> weeks ago. <laughs> Which is what inspired this. Um, (laughs) Oh, my God. I I truly thought that you were going to say self-care. I thought self-care instantly. That was my instinct. And then I thought, she's trying to trick me. Oh, God, I hate that. She's trying to trick me. I felt that from you many times. (laughs) But also, again, like, you at a party eventually will get to the cheese board and wreck shop. Oh, yeah. But the first 15, 20 minutes, that's what threw me is the timing. I know, I know. I mean, listen, I I normally follow the rules of etiquette at a party, but I don't know. I was at a dinner party the other night, and uh, there was this beautiful cheese board. I was basically friends with everybody there, but um, everybody kind of was talking. It was a small kind of affair. So I was like, well, I'm feeling awkward. Plus, this cheese is fucking delicious. And I just polished it. I just polished it. And I was sort of like, wow, I really went to town. There's no cheese left for any of these people. (laughs) Those figs are history. (laughs) Well, you know what's also like like super duper self-care about that is it it depends on the nature of the party. But at some parties, that cheese board is the only food you're going to see. So if you show up hungry, 
like go to town. Oh, I know. It, it's like a true moment of self-care in that way because you're like, yeah, if there, what if this dinner doesn't deliver? Right. I have to load up on this charcuterie and shit because I will literally starve at this beautiful dinner party. And so that's, yeah. yeah. I was like, in the moment, I was like, you know what? I know this looks like I'm a serial killer, but actually I'm fucking taking care of myself. I'm like... Making sure the body is fueled for all of the wonderful conversation I'll have for the rest of the night. So anyway, in that moment, I was like self-care. That's why I answered it then. I but. am furious with myself right now that I'm Dude. Only got two right and I have gotten the fact that I've gotten two wrong, I I have to come hang out with you. I feel like it's been oh too my long. God. I need to I need to re-up and be around my Millie for a little while so I can remember. The self-care aspects of a cheese board. I'm fucking shocked, okay? But (laughs) look, you have one more to get over the 50% hump, okay? So maybe if we just, we we can do more right than wrong at this point. Okay, so this is the last one. Serial killer or self-care? People who have chaotic front yards with tons of kooky folk art, garden flags, statuary, trellises... Sun catchers, gnomes, etc. Serial killer. <laughs> no! What the fuck? <laughs> it is self-care. Wait, oh my god. What the fuck? This How? has never happened before. This is devastating to me. I cannot even record this episode. I'm devastated. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> You saw my front yard, right? Like when you came over, you're like, oh, look at all those. Your front yard does not look like that. (laughs) It I have a spinny wooden spinny thing. I have bird bird houses, bird feeding tubes. And it's so tasteful. It's incredibly tasteful. I do not roll up to your house and think, look at this fucking maniac in here. (laughs) I'm just taking care of herself. Maybe I'm not, like, full chaos mode, obviously, like, but the fact, like, there's a hard line between people who, like, absolutely know on any of that shit and people who, like, dabble in it. And I'm, like, I'm the, I'm a dabbler now. I have to say, age-wise, I'm, like, I don't, I don't love a completely bare front yard. Now I'm, like, let's put some fucking, like, statuary in there. Let's get a bird (laughs) bath. Let's get... Let's get a garden flag. Let me tell you why this question was so mean. (laughs) Because I have been to your fucking house. Your shit doesn't even extend beyond the porch. It's not even in the yard. It's in the yard, dude. What? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I have, okay, in in the yard, I have like raised beds, but then I have like little barrels full of things. It's like, I'm, yes, I'm, it, it starts in the porch. No doubt about that. The porch is kind of chaotic, because I, I have all those ca- those cacti that I brought from LA and all these like, what is it, the Televera pottery stuff? Oh, like man. I'm just like, oh yeah, I have like the suns, like the sun yeah. things, but then it's like it's spilling out on the on the yard. See, like, I didn't know this. The, I gotta visit now. I gotta come check this shit out. Granted, it's been a while, and I want to and I want to say the last time that you were here, you it was winter time, yeah. so maybe I pulled some of that shit back. Gotcha. But look, 
I am so fucking close. You have no idea. I noticed that on, like, there's an attachment for a flag, like a full-size flag on one of the beams of the Porsche. I'm like, should I get a fucking flag, dude? What kind of flag would you get? I don't know. And that's why the the possibilities are endless. I'm like, what kind of flag are we going to put on this thing? And the thing is, like, you know, it's not a mini flag thing. It is a huge, like, I could buy a full-size fucking flag if I want to. And I'm like, you're like, I could go hit up a veteran, be like, give me that fucking triangle, and then just fly it off my goddamn porch. You'll well, be I was like, should I, put like a, I know, so it's like, should I put like a hawks flag on there? I love the hawks, but that's like a huge statement. It's a huge statement to yes. fly a sports team flag outside of your house. And then so, it's gotta be seasonal. And let me let me tell you why I also said serial killer. Think about where I live. Out here in these woods. When those yards pop up around here, you haven't, those those are hermits. Like you haven't even seen the person who lives there for 700 years. And it's always like, all right, let me look past the garden gnome with bottle cap eyes. And just beyond it, it's always a sign that's like, gas prices are higher than Hunter Biden. Like it always has a political (laughs) tinge to it. Oh my God, exactly. And it's always like, oh God, we're going into the mouth of madness here. I know, dude. Okay, this one was mean. Now that you're talking about it. Because (laughs) because (laughs) truly, like that's the thing is that like, I think part of the reason, like my thinking about this was that, yes, whenever you see those yards, you're like, that's where Spoon Man lives or whoever, you know, you're like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're like who is this like folk artist definitely a hermit definitely like a cat hoarder like somebody's living here but that's what i'm trying to embrace is to be like i'm not too cool for this hell i i may i'm i'm maybe part of the way there oh, i would God. never hoard animals but i definitely love weird ass folk art and I'm going to be that house that's scary as shit, and I guess that's the way it's going to be. But <laughs> I see why you would confuse it for serial killer, because it does look pretty serial killery. No yeah. All, okay, so for Christmas, I'm sending you some of those cloth rainbow pinwheels you can put in your yard, and a megaphone you can carry in your car when you're yelling at jaywalkers, and a fucking blank diary so you can tell me who the hell you are now! <laughs> I know, I'm just like, Wow. <laughs> You have changed. we like turned a corner here? What the fuck? You have changed, <laughs> and I wasn't there to witness it, so I didn't know all this information. Look, y- y'all, y'all had <gasps> some clues. The the cinnamon broom fanaticism, <laughs> like, but that's inside, and your shit. house smells delicious. It's inside. House smells great. <laughs> you could hide a cinnamon okay. broom in a closet, and your house still smell awesome. So, now that the get you got. Three wrong out of five. I am actually very shocked by this. I'm fucking quitting this podcast right now. <laughs> we are done. But but as we know, this game is fucking tough. Yes. I have been there and I've gotten out of it through the skin of my teeth. <laughs> so listen, next, well, next time this happens, we can redeem ourselves. I'm just saying I that this is devastating to me personally. <laughs> Clearly, we have not hung out enough this year i will rectify that but i also am ready to put you on a watch list from these things that i'm here like this is the phase of life you're in i support you but i'm also i'm ready i'm gonna get some some medicare forms filled out 
I'm going to get you on the AARP list and doing your will. Because you have skipped 17 birthdays and you're now in your 60s <laughs> yelling at people out of your car window and filling your yard with tchotchkes. You just skipped like, so many birthdays. I know. I'm like doing the wobble with my walker. <laughs> I mean, it's just... Outrageous. You're, you're alone at parties eating cheese. You're doing the wobble. You're filling your yard with shit. Damn. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe we should have just not gone down this road because now that you're now that you're saying it back to me. Uh-oh. Oh <laughs> I, I might have revealed too much just now. So that's that's the dark underbelly of serial killer self-care, is you will have a mild personal hangover after we're done recording and be like, shit, am I like that? I do it every time. Every time you answer, I'm like, yeah, I got (laughs) to, I got to look into that, that part of myself. Oh God. Cause she came back with that. Yes. Too quick. She came back with that self-care too quick. (laughs) Well, look on that note, (laughs) Uh, how are we going to transition into this theme this week because I know I can't even take a break to take a dump. I already took my dump. <laughs> I already have my diet coke. <laughs> like, there's no healthy transition. I mean, look, I think maybe, you know, what we can say to this theme is that, you know, it's a it's a recurring one. We've done it many times before. This one, I was politicking for for a long time yeah um (laughs) and i cannot wait for you to tell them what it is because you really i think from the beginning you're like this was one of the first entries yes on your list for this day one i was a day one on this theme so our theme this week is all the way up willem defoe we're finally doing him. <gasps> I mean, whole career, whole career, all the way up, dude. I don't know about you, but like, okay. So, Willem Dafoe to me is like one of these actors that is in like every cool movie that I've ever loved, mm-hmm. and he seems to have the craziest sort of career, like, the characters that he plays. He typically plays a lot of villains and a lot of creeps, which I love. But he has been... I read a lot about him, obviously, before we were doing this episode. He's been in, like, pretty... Like, pretty close to 150 movies. Unreal. In his career. And I'm like, how does that person make so many movies and is known for the person that he is from that actor's perspective. Because it's like, most people are like, you know, oh, you know, like, here's a guy that plays all the creeps in every movie, but he's only been in, like, 12 movies. Right. And also, you know, he plays so many different, he plays creeps frequently, but they are all different. They all have a different tinge to them. And I was reading, listening to a lot of interviews about his acting style, and he's like, yeah, like, I don't approach it. He's he's just, he's a very down-to-earth and kind person, it seems, from the interviews I've listened to. Like, he's a hippie at heart and just, like, has had a very fascinating life. But he's really just like, yeah, I just, you know, I'm there to work and make the work come to life, and I don't, you know, carry a lot of ego about it, and I'm not trying to do something wild on purpose that if it doesn't fit the tone of the film, he's like, I'm just kind of there to help everybody. And I'm like, that's yeah. really a sweet way to approach these individual creeps. 
Yeah. Well, and like, to, to, to maybe back that up a little bit, I mean, he played a lot of creeps early in his career, obviously, but then... At a certain point, you know, he was in the Spider-Man, like Spider-Man franchise at one point. Yeah. He was, he's been in big movies. You know, he has kind of um, working relationships with different directors like, you know, Paul Schrader and Wes Anderson and Robert Eggers and Lars von Trier. Oh, don't even get me started. But that's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like, so he, he can definitely play a creep and a weird dude. He could also play nice dudes like in the Wes Anderson movies and you know like you know stuff like that but then he also is like really ballsy I mean the the Von Trier yeah. movies that he's been in are totally insane like I don't know if you remember that he was in Body of Evidence with yes. Madonna yes you know so he can play like an erotic thriller guy but also like some murder biker guy but then be like a nice grandpa. It's crazy. It is wild. And yeah, he's he has an incredible range. So I don't I don't want to limit him to creeps, but he does it so well that it's like he's he's known for specific roles because he has brought such a specific intensity to something and is just so good at inhabiting the character. I yeah, he's he can do he can do anything. I think he's proven in his career that he can do anything and he always does it to the max. Yes. Yeah, so the first time that I really like you know, basically focused on him as an actor. I mean, I've seen him in things obviously forever, but it wasn't until I saw this movie called Shadow of the Vampire that oh, was shit. released in 2000. It was that movie with John Malkovich where Willem Dafoe plays an actual real person, Max Schreck, who was the guy that played Count Orlock in Nosferatu, okay? Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, I was like, oh my God, Willem Dafoe is perfect for this role because Willem Dafoe is also this creepy European vampire guy as it turns out, Willem Dafoe was born on July 22nd, 1955 in Appleton, Wisconsin. That is the most stunning fact of his life to me. <laughs> I don't care if he tells me he jitterbugged on Stalin's grave. The fact that he's from Wisconsin is always going to be the most shocking thing about him to me. And that his name is William Yes! William Defoe from Wisconsin? He's not Willem Defoe from fucking Transylvania? Like, what? Exactly. He's not Willem the Horrible from (laughs) a crypt in Eastern Europe. Like I always fucking thought. I've never even seen anything that looks like his face in Wisconsin. I went to school there for two years. Never saw anything even approaching this man's face in any shadow. that that to me is really interesting too because when you when you read about him you know he he actually for like very early in his career and kind of out th- throughout his whole life it was he was very into you know experimental theater mm-hmm. he was part of the Wooster group and you know he had he was actually with the director of the Wooster group Elizabeth LeCompte, I think that's her name. They have a kid together. They were together for like almost 30 years and you never got married, but they were together and they were in the same kind of theater group. So it's funny because, yeah, there's probably William from Wisconsin in there somewhere, (laughs) but the person we know is Willem, who is an experimental actor and plays creeps and vampires and other 
eccentric characters, right? Oh yeah, and again, to listen to him talk, he doesn't. He's he's not bifurcating himself at all. Like he seems like a very totally. cohesive, mentally yes. healthy person. Where he's like, yeah, I'm William. I'm Willem. Whatever. Like it's all fine. And I'm like, you're 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 astounding to me. Yeah, he. I mean, to that point, he has that kind of like nice guy Wisconsin-y vibe. Anytime, even when I saw the um, special features on your film this week. Yeah. He's so sweet. He's playing the craziest <laughs> dude to ever live on film. But he's like, he's just all shucks about it. And I love that. I love that so much. So it is, again, I don't know how he came from Appleton and became who he <laughs> is, but we are all better off for it. And he just seems yes. like a really remarkable dude. Yes, we are here to salute our all-the-way-up king, Willem Dafoe. I think you're... Are you going first this week? I feel yeah, like you're going first. I'm going first. Oh, my God. I cannot wait <laughs> to talk about this movie. My movie was released in 1990. It was written and directed by David Lynch and based on the book Wild at Heart by Barry Gifford. My movie is Wild at Heart. I'd go the far end of the world for you, baby. A man can't ask for more than that. This is weirdly, we've talked about David Lynch before on the podcast. Um, if you listen to our Elephant Man episode, we've talk, talked about his career a little bit. And there's so much information about him out there that if you are at all curious about David Lynch or like him even a little bit, I highly recommend you go and seek it out. We could do an entire season of episodes on David Lynch. Um, Definitely. But what I will say, it's it's strange to me about this film, which is probably one of my favorites of his. This seems to me like his most narratively cohesive film, aside from Elephant Man. Yes. Even though there's lots of strange elements in it, it seems like it has the most cohesive narrative storyline, which I, I appreciate because the story is wild. And... If it weren't told in the way that he, that he's he's told it, that he's written in a for, for for the screen, I think it could get a lot of stuff could get lost in in translation. So yeah, yeah, I to- totally agree with you. I think it's probably, I mean, it's like a straight up romance, like yeah. it's a romantic film. So that in and of itself, I think, is what makes it kind of the most linear, or maybe one of his most linear straight up narratives right yeah and it's there's also there's so much obvious there's so many obvious nods to the wizard of oz in this film and so i think that's also kind of gives us something else to look at you know with the red shoes and they're talking about yellow brick road and there's just so like the good witch like there's just so many different elements of the the wizard of oz that i think it kind of does something different from a lot of david lynch films which it kind of forces you to focus on the story in a different way once you realize that that's what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it kind of adds a, a, another layer, a heightened layer for me of yeah. um, as, as a viewer, which I, which I appreciate. And the movie is, yeah. is, is insane. It's an insane film. Don't get it twisted. It's an insane film, but <laughs> because this week we're focusing on our all the way up King Willem Dafoe, I'm going to be quick about discussing what the film is. And then we're going to get, going to get right into it with him. Oh, oh my gosh. So my one-sentence synopsis of Wild at Heart is a sex-crazed couple of young lovers make their way across the country and run into a variety of characters as they're trying to outrun bounty hunters. Perfection! Right? It's kind of what it's about. So the cast is incredible. You've got Nicolas Cage playing Sailor and Laura Dern playing Lula. Um, Laura Dern's real-life mother, Diane Ladd, plays her mother 
in the film, Marietta. You've got Isabella Rossellini, Harry Dean Stanton, Grace Zabriskie, Sherilyn Fenn, like a lot of John Lurie, like just a lot of um, of David Lynch's go-tos are in this film. Um, yeah. Calvin Lockhart, like just all these great actors um, that you have seen in other films but are just inhabiting such different roles. Isabella Rossellini is almost unrecognizable, even though like when she starts talking, you kind of realize it's who she is but she's got this like super bleach blonde hair and straight eyebrow straight thick eyebrows and i love that he's able to use the same ensemble um but again were they i think they were dating when they yeah. made this movie right i think so yeah or together yeah, yeah i swear i was like i was actually googling photos of david lynch and isabella rossellini when as a couple and i was like damn this is a pairing for the ages i don't know what happened between them. I hate that they busted up that union, but sincerely, it's like, I know I hate to, I hate to speculate about anyone else's relationship ever, but I kind of, they, Isabella Rossellini and David Lynch and Angelica Houston and Jack Nicholson. I'm like, what? You couldn't make it work, y'all? I know. Maybe y'all can make yeah. it work? I know. I wish, I wish they had stayed together for 50 years, but you know what? Sometimes it's too hot. The pairing is too hot. And we got so much great art out of it. So I'll, I'll let it slide. Yeah. <laughs> we got something. Yeah, exactly. They gave us something in the process. So thank you for that. But the movie also starts out in such a distinctive storytelling way. So within the first two minutes of the movie, you have a full scope of not only what the story is, what the impetus for the story is, but who each character is. And he does it so swiftly that it's almost amazing to watch and rewatch. So we're, we're, we start out with Sailor and Lula kind of leaving a dance. This guy comes up to Sailor, who's the Nicolas Cage character, um, and is like, hey, I Marietta just told me that you tried to you know, make a pass at her and I'm going to kill you. And instead what happens is Sailor <laughs> commits violent manslaughter on the spot uh, while Lula is shouting in the background <laughs> and her mom's looking <laughs> on. Just instant violence. They have this one, I also think the soundtrack of this film is, is crucial because they have this one song they play for, or a couple of different songs, but one really fast-paced um, song that they play for the Sailor and Lula going like kind of wilding scenes yeah. and it's also it's not like another movie that we've covered on the podcast natural born killers like the, the focus of their life isn't violence and mayhem it's they're trying to be in love and be together in a world that doesn't that wants to keep them apart so i think that yeah. you know a lot of the violence we see is in reaction to that so it starts out wild and from the beginning, we understand that Marietta does not want Lula to be with Sailor at all. He goes to prison after this, this manslaughter that he's committed, gets out two years later, immediately hooks up with Lula, and she runs away with him. And he's basically like, hey, you know what would be cool? I've been thinking about like skipping parole and just going to California with you. And she's like, I'm on board, 100%. I'm 20 years old. This makes sense to me. So it's this really like sex-fueled kind of like instantly sexy kind of movie and they're on the run and Marietta's hired um, the Harry Dean Stanton character to whose the character's name is Johnny Farragut um, to kind of go find them. But then there's this other guy in her life named Santos who she's kind of hired to go after them as well. And he's like, yeah, I'll go after them if you let me kill Farragut because they're both kind of vying for her love and attention. And it just becomes this this again, this David Lynchian road trip through uh, Southern 
the southern part of America uh, with all the dust and lust and craziness that you can you can imagine. So what I really want to focus on now that we kind of know what the what the film is about is how do we get to Willem Dafoe being all the way up in a movie that has this kind of shit going on. So we have Sailor, again, Nicolas Cage, who in real life idolizes Elvis Presley, kind of Mm -hmm. dressed and looking like Elvis Presley. And this is also where, for me anyway, the first time I saw him doing like karate kicks (laughs) as dance moves, which has since become parodied, but he really let loose in this film in a way that I feel like was very close to who he might be as a person. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was like, yo, this is the role I was born to play. <laughs> this, like, Elvis-obsessed, like, rockabilly-adjacent dude with the snakeskin jacket. He's like, I'm going full on here. So. Full the fuck on. And the, he has the funniest lines in this movie that are, and again, I've seen it several times. I own it. I love it. It is, and you you might have a hard time finding it, so check out Internet Archive if you need to, if you don't have the physical media. But he says things like, he's having this conversation with Lula, and she's talking about how she used to sneak cigarettes from her mom when she was in, like, sixth or seventh grade. (laughs) And he goes, I think I started smoking when I was four. And he just pauses (laughs) in a way, (laughs) you're like, what is he going to say? And he says, four years old. I scream every time that... That sentence is uttered because I was like, oh, and I figured we would talk about it since I was like four. <laughs> he started smoking at four. And he's he's very thoughtful about it, but he's not apologetic. He's just like, it's just the delivery of the line is fucking perfection. And the line is hilarious. And he delivers yeah. it perfectly. But he's, yeah, he does he, that constantly in the film. Oh, absolutely. There's the other line where... He's such a great, simple line read, but when Laura Dern is talking about Cousin Dell <laughs> and the and the cockroaches in his underwear, and like his just like his reaction to that is so fucking funny. And he he constantly says shit to her, like she'll be going off on a tail, and he's like, the way your mind works is a fucking mystery. Like he'll just say shit that's like, <laughs> like I don't always get you, but I love that you are who you are. Um, love it. He's so funny, and he just really. I I also I want a gif of them in the car driving, and he's just like saluting constantly. <laughs> driving and smoking and he's just saluting and like it's just he just embodies this character in a way that you don't know his origin story fully but you can understand who he is fully because of how Nicolas Cage is playing him in this film yeah exactly it is beautiful so you've got Sailor and again he and Lula are just absolutely like physically and they're just like psychotically in love with each other. Yeah. And we get, again, just a little bit of a glimpse into how they met, uh, or we don't really get a glimpse into how they met, but we know that they've been together for, you know, a couple of years and that, you know, it's always been chaos for them. Primarily because Marietta doesn't want them together. And we find out the reason why as the film progresses. I will not ruin that for anybody. So then you have Lula, whose father... Um, died by suicide by pouring kerosene on himself and lighting himself on fire in their home while she was in it. She is very youthful, but she's not very young, if you know what I mean. Like, she's very youthful, but she's she has a real darkness to her as well. 
And Mm -hmm. part of her storyline, which we do see play out, is when she was 13, she was raped by one of her father's business partners. And, you know, that plays out in a way that it's it's haunting and effective for her. Um, So I, I appreciate that in the world of David Lynch, he doesn't treat that he doesn't gloss over that, but it's also kind of crucial to the storyline of who she is because you can see her kind of searching for for love and embodying her physicality in a way that I think she had to do in order to gain control and power again in her own life. Mm. Um, because That's she's a very sexy character, but she plays it in a way that it's not in- – she's not intentionally sexy. Like, she's not sexy for anyone else. She kind of just is sexy for herself. So um, she just has, oh, God, so many incredible fucking looks in, in this movie. Like when she's dancing on the bed with after she paints her toenails and the cotton balls or mm-hmm. she's just dancing and bouncing around. So fun. But it's also, you know, it's a very young Laura Dern. And she's just like this statuesque giraffe-like beauty who's <laughs> just mm-hmm. floating through this world kind of unaware of anyone but Sailor. Like, she only has eyes for him. And she is trying to make it work with her mom, trying to have her mom in her life, but her mom's a real fucking buzzkill for her. So she's. we're also watching her as the film progressives kind of slowly realize that her mom is more detrimental to her life than she is helpful. We have mom, again, Diane Ladd, her real-life mother, playing Marietta. And Marietta is a fucking wild one. (laughs) Um, At one point, she's, like, always having these little breakdowns in this kind of southern lady way where she's just, like, it's very alcohol-fueled. But then she'll just start painting her whole face with red lipstick out of nowhere. (laughs) And like screaming into phones and she's balancing these two men, you know, between Farragut and Santos. So she's really interesting and overbearing and overpowering. But the more we come to learn about her, you kind of realize why she can't stand Sailor. We also, and eventually everyone kind of ends up in New Orleans and we get to meet Grace Zabriskie, who's always playing a wild character. And in this, again, we're getting to the reason why Willem Dafoe is all the way up in this cast of characters. Because <laughs> Grace Zabriskie is like, I got a leg brace and a cane, and I'm going to be screaming about hunting buffalo and making out with a bunch of dudes. <laughs> She's just like this dark, <laughs> like witch doctor almost in a in a desert. I know. And it, it was funny because I watched an interview with her, all that special features of, I mean, I still have the standard deaf dvd right because i know it's it's unavailable because i'm like oh i i I need to keep this dvd in case i want to watch it again so i've kept it throughout the years but there's an interview with grace abriski and and she's i think she's so sweet she's like yeah this was a challenging character in a way (laughs) (laughs) i was like no shit lady oh my god (laughs) to say the fucking least because she doesn't even show up that often on on screen but every time she does it is bonkers town Mm -hmm. and then we have crispin glover who plays a man who puts cockroaches in his underwear (laughs) (laughs) and makes sandwiches makes sandwiches screams about (laughs) about it not being christmas and he is not the all the way up character in this film (laughs) See, that's, that's, I mean, to your earlier point about this being one of the most cohesive, you know, <laughs> linear narrative David Lynch films, he's like, okay, I'll do that, but there's going to be some weird-ass characters in my film, 
Sorry. Absolutely. I'm going to put a Mr. A man named Mr. Reindeer in here who gives out silver dollars as a signal to murder. <laughs> While we show him kind of building a harem, like it is, he just puts his own stamp on everything and I fucking love it. But this is the cast of characters we're working with. So when Willem Dafoe turns up, which by the way, isn't until like half of the film is over. A hundred percent. Like he does so much work, intense work all the way up work in such a short amount of time that it's kind of remarkable. Yeah, I mean, he is kind of the main thing yeah. that I remember about yeah. this film. And and you're right. The fact that it, he doesn't even come in until it's halfway over tells you, I think, that he is the all-the-way-up king. Absolutely. Because he does a lot in that short amount of time. <laughs> Absolutely. So Sailor and Lula end up in this town called Big Tuna. That's where they're driving so that he could meet Isabella Rossellini and ask, like, hey, is there a hit out on me, by the way? Uh, and she's like, nope. Everything's cool. So they're kind of stranded in this town because Lula's starting to feel road sick and they're running out of money. In Big Tuna, we meet people like Pruitt Taylor Vince. And if Pruitt Taylor Vince is showing up on your screen, shit's about to go down. I don't I don't care <laughs> how you shake it. I know he's a versatile actor who's done t- several, several different roles. But if Pruitt Taylor Vince is showing up, you're in a weird place. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> you're in an abnormal geographical state. And... Bobby Peru shows up one night while they're all just sitting around and talking and everyone's kind of telling them what Big Tune is all about. And Bobby Peru's look is almost the most all the way up thing about him. This is this is an all the way up role that relies heavily on the teeth of this character. Oh my God. So Bobby Peru wears a fringed black leather jacket and a bolo tie with his black shirt and black pants, slicked back hair, I mean slicked back hair. He has a USMC tattoo on his his hand, the back of his hand. So Sailor's like, oh, you were in the Marines, huh? And he's got a, he's a little bit off kilter when he talks to people. He's very creepy when he stares at them. He's a little bit too intense. And he does a, this, this weird kind of intense. It's a mix of intensity. Then he also just breaks into laughter instantly, which I think the character thinks is meant to put you at ease, but actually just heightens the fear a lot (laughs) so he just kind of puts people off and sets them on edge instantly and a large part of it is because he has these little corn nub teeth (laughs) that are all gums and it looks like his teeth were set on fire with a fucking lighter while they were in his (laughs) mouth and you know i have genetically terrible teeth i have to put a lot of time and effort and money into my fucking teeth but these teeth were strugs to funk (laughs) <laughs> and a pure indicator of someone who does not give a shit about themselves in any way, shape, or form. Oh my God, dude. I'm going to post a video on our Instagram of Willem Dafoe, the actor talking about wearing these teeth for <laughs> the role of Bobby Peru because it's so funny. It, ha- having him talk about like, you know, having to wear them, you know, apparently he couldn't even really talk with them in. Yeah. So the idea that he managed to form sentences in this film is kind of remarkable, but like this guy is beats per minute one of the creepiest film characters <laughs> ever. For all of the things that you just said, it's like here's this like real mercurial 
ex-Marine living somewhere in Texas in a rural environment with these crazy-ass teeth, you know, obviously dabbles in the crime world. And I'm like, that is truly everything that scares the shit out of me in one person. <laughs> like, every time I get in my car, I'm afraid I'm going to run into Bobby Peru. <laughs> it's like, that's the kind of guy that, like, you and your high school friends are just, like, fucking around one day, and then you run into somebody like that, and it changes the trajectory of your life. <laughs> You know, he's like, hey, let's party. And you're like, no, not that guy. Holy shit, no. Oh God, I can't breathe. <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. We have run into that dude at a mall and we're just like fucking around at the big letters in front of the kids' place or the children's place or whatever. <laughs> we're just taking pictures and being silly. And then here he comes and he's like, looks like you're having fun. And you're like, oh my God, I have made a mistake with my whole yeah. life to end up in this place at this time, meeting this man. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's the second guy when you, like, are a high school ding-dong stoner type that goes to the buy weed, and that's, like, the second guy that's at the weed guy's house. <laughs> and you're like, dude, he's crazy. Like, do not hang out. And to that, like, that's the thing about when he comes into the scene when they're all outside kind of having beers and Big Tuna or whatever, like, Nicolas Cage and and uh, Laura Dern's characters are both like, oh, hell no. Oh, we gotta go. We gotta go and lock the door immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It is. It's that gut instinct. But again, the visual of him also matches the his countenance and how, like you said, you meet people like this occasionally in life and you just know to run away. There's nothing yes. about them that indicates anything but get out of mm -hmm. this life. And this is before we even see his little fucked up face with a fucking pantyhose on it. Mushing all those <laughs> that shit down into an even creepier fucking look. Yes. Oh, my God. Like, just dude. when you think it can't go up anymore, like, he's brought it all <laughs> the way up just by appearing in the film. He... Throw some pantyhose on his head because he convinces Sailor to take part in a robbery. And it is just so disconcerting, but also would be the most amazing Halloween costume. I know. I, uh, if I could stand to look like that for even five seconds as a joke, <laughs> I think I would, I would try it. But like, damn, it's like, it is creepy as shit. Like, and, and, like, they really, like, get a bunch of, like, good close-ups of him when he's got the pantyhose yeah. on his head. There's also a, a close-up of him terrorizing Lula, where Ooh. they get real close, and those teeth are doing all the, all the way up work. Yeah, that scene, I think, is so creepy and disturbing, obviously. But it's like, oh, with like the mouth and the thing. I mean, oh my God, it's just terrifying. Yeah, he he just like ratches, he keeps ratcheting up the the all the way upness every time you see him on screen. And again, he's not in the movie until halfway through and even then yeah. not for a very long time. He is a scene stealer. He is an all the way up king for this reason. It does not take him many beats to reach the point where he will 
be emblazoned on your brain for the rest of your life. I saw this, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, I'm never going to not be able to see that motherfucker when I'm alone in the dark, having my worst thoughts. No way. And and the fact that he will go from like being an absolute psycho to like a jokester. Like he like yes. tells a joke and you're like, no, <laughs> what? Like, because then I laugh and then I'm like, why am I laughing? This is so fucked up. Anyway, it's, Perfect. It's and in, perfect. in the world of the Wizard of Oz that they are, again, constantly referencing in this film, I was trying to figure out, well, what character would he be if if Marietta is the Wicked Witch of the East you know, and Lula is Dorothy? Who would he be? And I feel like he's the monkeys on roller skates. Yeah, he's like a, the monkeys with the witch, with the, you know, like everything. He's just he's that that you know, plot point of the film that's just, like, preventing them from moving forward with their relationship and their and their journey. And it's just such a last, like, a last bit of, like, holy shit. Like, they're, I hope these two make it. Yeah. I don't know. This guy's coming in. Yeah, he, he takes it all the way up and he adds a layer of terror and fear to the lives of these characters, just like you said. It, it's you truly start to you start to worry for them in a way that I feel like I hadn't worried for them prior to this, even while they're being yeah. chased by these two guys and Marietta. Like, I didn't have fear of what would happen to them. And I thought, well, if anything bad happens to these two characters, it'll be of their own doing. And then Bobby yeah. Peru comes on the scene and you're like, oh, shit, there are people in this world who are threatening to even the most to the strongest and wildest people, you know. Yeah. And I'm not even going to talk about what happens to him because it is absolutely incredible. You have to see it and be shocked <laughs> yeah. by it. But yeah. this is like just one of the first things I've, and there, there again, so many options to choose from in the career of Willem Dafoe, Romanian vampire from Appleton, <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> but this was the yeah. first one I thought of when I thought all the way up, because it's the first yep. time after seeing him in Platoon and then seeing him in this, my young world was rocked. Yep. If you were going to pick it, I was going to pick it. I'll just say that. It's my it's maybe the the creepiest role he's ever played. I mean, like I said, I think like early in his career, he was doing a lot of I don't know. It's so funny because I used to call him like his rockabilly vampire roles. Like he was like, you know, he was kind of this guy in Streets of Fire. And, you know, he was in The Loveless where he played kind of another like psycho biker kind of rock and roll guy. So mm -hmm. it's kind of this funny like little bit of his career. And I feel like this might be, I mean, I don't know. For me, when it comes to David Lynch, I love any of his work that is kind of in that nostalgia, 50s sort of rock and roll thing. So, you know, I tend to love Blue Velvet and the first mm -hmm. Twin Peaks and Wild Heart. I just love that kind of uh, retro Americana type of stuff. But um, yeah, this movie alone makes him an all-the-way-up king, just by itself. Doesn't even matter if I go next or not, so. Oh, I love it. I love it, and I love any chance to talk about Willem Dafoe and to hear yeah. about him, because your movie also all-the-way-up king. Yeah, he's pretty He's pretty cuckoo in my movie, I have to say. So, um... My film for the theme all the way up, Willem Dafoe, is a movie from 1985. It was written by Gerald Petovich and William Friedkin, based on a book of the same name by Gerald Petovich. 
directed by William Freakin, of course, and it's called To Live and Die in L.A. You can't come up with the front money. You're not for real. So, <laughs> so I rewatched this movie, obviously, because William Friedkin passed away not too long ago. And I mean, I'd seen it before, maybe once or twice. But then after he died, I watched it like three times. And that wasn't that long ago. So I don't know if To Live and Die in L.A. is like a comfort movie for me now, like one of those weird comfort <laughs> movies, but... Is this, is it your favorite Friedkin? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, it's definitely up there. Definitely up there. It. I don't know. It might be, but it's. Um. I mean, I really love The Exorcist too. But it's just yeah. you know, I want. I've been watching all of it. I mean, I watched Cruising again. I watched. Um, obviously, we had watched The Exorcist semi recently because we did it for an episode. But yeah, Jade. I was like, I don't watch Jade again. Why the fuck not? I don't know. I just wanted to kind of go through his filmography again. But I think I think you secretly yearn for a life that is filled with Wang Chung soundtracks. <laughs> it's so true. And it's okay to admit it because this soundtrack is fucking dope. Dude, so good. Like you said, done by the music duo Wang Chung. And um, they really set the stage for it because if you've not seen this movie... I, to me, it's kind of a quintessential L.A. movie, but it's also like an 80s movie. It's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, I don't know, the Michael Mann stuff that was in the 80s. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just got that sheen of like 80s, neon, soaked, sleazy, grimy, crime world stuff. Totally. Um, And I don't know. I mean, it came from a book, so... It was written by, the book was written by Gerald Petovich, who was a Secret Service agent. And the book was brought to William Friedkin, and Friedkin thought, man, this is really interesting because just like me in this very moment, he did not realize that the Secret Service is not just in charge of protecting the president (laughs) and heads of state, but that they also deal with counterfeiting and bank fraud. I did not know that. Did you know that? No. And when I saw it in this movie for the first time, I was like, that's a stretch. Yes. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I also thought that in the way that most people think that quicksand was going to be a big deal in our adult lives because of all the cartoons we watched as kids, I thought counterfeiting was going to be a cornerstone of my adult life. (laughs) I don't know how, but I thought, well, I'm going to be running into counterfeit money all day long. Yeah, I think that was a huge... That seemed to be... I think it's because it's the 80s and, you know, there was a a lot of emphasis on money in the 80s, but that Mm -hmm. seemed to be kind of like a running motif in a lot of entertainment was, like, fake money. Yeah, but not once once did they mention that the Secret Service was the people who handled it. Right, and so (laughs) I was reading... I had to read about it because I was like, this is so fucking crazy, but, you know... So the Secret Service was actually formed in, you know, the 1800s because there was widespread counterfeiting happening at that time in the U.S. And they were actually, when this movie was made and up until 2003, the Secret Service was under the Treasury Department. And then in 2003, they got moved to like Homeland Security or something. But yeah, because that's the thing is that you watch this movie and and the beginning of it is where, you know, these characters who are in the Secret Service are like, you know, basically guarding the president. But then they go through the rest of the movie and you're like, oh, wait, I forgot. They're just Secret Service agents. They're not FBI or 
you know, <laughs> DEA or whatever. I'm like, that is so weird. But it's William Freakin thought that was weird too, which is why he made the movie, which I think is awesome. But um, so the lead of this film is William Peterson, whom if you watched Manhunter, speaking of Michael Mann, he's the lead in, in Manhunter. So when he made To Live and Die in L.A., at the time, he was just some working actor in Chicago, and he was picked by Friedkin to play the lead of this film, which it was his very first film. He had never acted in a film before, and, you know, part of it was that Friedkin was doing this movie pretty cheaply, and he wanted to do it really fast. So, of course, he's like, I don't have money for famous actors. I'm just going to hire some, you know, some unknowns or whatever. And, you know... And to that point, you know, Friedkin hired Robbie Mueller, who was, you know, worked with Vin Vendors. And so it was that kind of thing where he was like, we're going to do this movie really fast, really cheap. Everybody's got to be on board with it. And, you know, they were doing a lot of these kind of like one take shots. And they were doing the thing, too, where they would Friedkin would tell the actors like, hey, rehearse this scene before we shoot it. But then they would actually secretly shoot it. And a lot of it was in the movie. Like a lot of that ended up in the final print. So that's kind of that's kind of wild. Yeah. And William Peterson, you know, the the lead actor, you know, he he's from Chicago. He actually got one of his friends from Chicago, this other actor, John Pankow, to also be in the movie. And he plays, <laughs> you know, Vukovic or whatever, the other uh guy in his in his unit. So it's funny because the two leads of this film are from Chicago. Friedkin is also from Chicago. And you're there's a lot of like Midwestern accents in this film too, which is so weird because you're like, you're in LA and all of a sudden it's like, like, I don't know. I like, check out these uh, guys from Chicago in LA. <laughs> Wait, was that supposed to be a Chicago accent? Don't, don't do it to yourself, girl. Don't do it. You know our listeners will be on you like white on rice. (laughs) Chicago just unmasked, unfollowed us. (laughs) They're like, oh, come here for tour. We'd love to see you. What did she just say? Cancel. Listen, I have family from Chicago. I felt like I should take a chance. But, you know. (laughs) That was a Chicago accent. I'm known for bad accents on this podcast, so I had to. I just had to. It's my favorite because you just did a Chicago (laughs) accent with a Southern twinge, and that is hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, but they're great. Like, John Pankow and William Peterson, this movie, are totally great. Uh, William Peterson has this, like, swagger to him that's really enjoyable to watch. Um, You know, his, like, physicality is, like, Mm. he's just kind of a fast-moving type of guy. And... I don't know. There's a lot of like ad lib moments in the film too, because they, again, they were filming these rehearsals and putting them in the movies. So this movie feels kind of organic and real to me. And I don't know, maybe that's why I like it so much, but um, a one sentence synopsis of To Live and Die in LA, a secret service agent goes above the law attempting to bust the artist turned counterfeiter who has just murdered his partner. Mm-mm-mm. Perfection. That's a a huge reason to go above the law is when your partner gets murked and put in a dumpster. I mean, I've killed for less. (laughs) So, 
Richard Chance, that's the name of the, the lead character, played by William Peterson. He's a Secret Service agent in L.A. He's working on this case involving this, I said, artist slash counterfeiter named Eric Rick Masters, okay? Masters is played by the star of our episode, Willem Dafoe. Now, honestly, having said what we said about him in the prior movie, who else could you get to play this fucking creep? I don't know. <laughs> in 1986, you had no other options. No other options. Rick Masters is a psycho. He's a psycho and a creep. And it's funny because he does all the crazy bad guy things. Like he shoots people in the face and he shoots people in the dick. But he's also <laughs> a pretentious snob. And he'll tell, he will literally tell you that he hates your art collection. And, and he'll say to your face, your taste is in your ass <laughs> before, before killing you in cold fucking blood. Like that's the kind of guy he is. Oh God. <laughs> He's like, I can't let you leave this world thinking that you actually have good taste. Yes. Like, why did you collect this pottery? You're a fucking moron. <laughs> Goodbye, and you're dead. That's a that's a psycho thing to do. <laughs> and he's 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 like a seething, quiet kind of psycho, where like he'll do these weird, over the top things, but he's not yelling at all. Yeah. And it's, it's this thing, too, where he's also just kind of generally creepy. Like, he films himself having sex with his artsy, modern dancer girlfriend. You know, like, and it's like that creepy camcorder shit where you're old just like, tech. ew. Old tech. You know? Old tech is you disgusting. You know we think old tech is disgusting. Although, sick. you know what? I, I As much as I loathe old tech, I love old money. I love looking at the counterfeiting scenes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, the best. I don't know why. I just have a very reference for old bills. Oh yeah. And like that's the thing is that so there's this pretty famous scene towards the beginning of the movie where they show I mean Willem Dafoe is actually doing a lot of this work, but then, you know, but it's basically the kind of like play by play of how counterfeiters make money, okay? So, it's like they're using all this big printing machinery. And because, remember, Rick Masters, the character, is an artist, a visual artist, you know, they're showing him kind of like using kind of photography plates and painting and doing things. It's very precise. And Friedkin actually found real counterfeiters, like people who used to actually counterfeit money. And they consulted on the film because he wanted to make this so real. Like, he's like, I want to make this as real as possible. And I I saw that in one of the documentaries on the Blu-ray. If you have it, you should get it. It's fantastic. So Apparently, so they made, for the film, they made roughly about a million dollars in fake Damn. money. Just for the film. Okay? And they were supposed to burn it all after the film was over, right? Because it's, like, obviously really well-made fake money. And then they burned it all in the, you know, at the end of it, they're like, we can't have this floating around. However, somebody on the set apparently took some of the bills home with them as a souvenir, because that is what happens, I suppose, on movie sets. Sometimes people are like, oh, I want this fake money. And then what happened was whatever crew member took the money home, 
Apparently their son tried to use the money at a convenience store to buy snacks with his friend. So that's what you get for creeping in your fucking parents' room. I know. And so freaking actually got visited by the fucking police (laughs) because they're like, this money is is trying to be used by some fucking little kid at a at a convenience store. So I just think that's so fucking funny. That is charming as hell. Yeah, but um. Anyway, that scene is really fantastic. It's really it's really cool to see it made. Yeah. So, you know, without kind of drawing out all the the beats of the film, because honestly, it moves pretty fast. I mean, you know, at the beginning of the film, Chance's partner is like two days away from retiring. He decides that he's going to try to stake out this warehouse that Masters is printing the fake money in. And he goes by himself and he gets killed by Masters and his goon or whatever. So that is what sets into motion Chance being like, we're going to get him no matter what. Like, and I don't care if we're going to go dirty. We're actually, Mm -hmm. we're going dirty. And you're just going to have to not be a snitch about it. And he's telling this to the Vukovic character, you know, John Pankow's character, because he's like, you're, if you're going to be my new partner and you want to take down Masters, like, you're going to have to play by my rules. <laughs> my <laughs> dirty rules. I'm going to bring you into the underworld. Yes. And so, and, and Chance is like, like, the character is crazy because he's like a base jumper. He's like an adrenaline junkie. Those base jumping scenes, look, old tech and old base jumping can go straight to hell. I'm like, they just tied a rope to that man's leg. He could have ripped off his hip out of the socket. Oh, yeah. And he, and it wasn't that thing like the Aerosmith video with Alicia Silverstone that was like, guess what? My harness. Can't even see the harness for a lot of it. And I'm like, I think they just put him on a piano wire and just said, <laughs> they just, if, if he dies, he dies, I guess. Just threw a stuntman <laughs> off, a, off a bridge with piano yeah. wire. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so that's the thing is that Chance is this like, He's his own kind of psycho in a weird way because he's, like, so intent on getting Masters. And there's all these other characters that are tucked in the film. It's like, you know, you've got this guy Cody who's played by John Turturro, who's amazing in this movie. He's really great. Um, Then, you know, Dean Stockwell plays this crooked lawyer that's working for Masters because Masters has this entire criminal setup. Like, he's got mules, you know, plugs, like, all these people to help him kind of move this counterfeit money. And so, you know, basically Chance and Vukovic are trying to take it down. At one point, they go undercover as these, like, Palm Springs businessmen. And they go to meet with Masters, and Masters makes them go to his gym and work out with him. Which I guarantee people are still doing to this day. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Especially in Los Angeles. Shady shit. But then there's like, it's funny because I mean, I actually think this is a freaking thing, but there's a lot of like kind of male butts and like, you know, guys like changing out of clothes. Actually, you want to say, you want to talk about Dongasans. There's a moment where you see a William Peterson Dongasans. There is. There is. And so I don't know. I kind of love that about freaking. He's like giving you a little something. He's like, well, I'll, I'll give you some, some butts and pubes. <laughs> You want to see these unkempt but, 80s pubes? Go for it. Go for it. But 
the, so the thing is, is that they're kind of going undercover and then Masters is like, well, I'm going to need 30 grand up front. They obviously can't get 30 grand because they're the Secret Service. So they they come up with a plan. Chance comes up with a plan, which is basically, let's rob this, this other mule of his money and then we have the money to give to Masters. And then, of course, that whole thing goes horribly, deeply wrong. But sets up probably like one of the most famous car chase sequences in film history, which, as you know, this is the director of the French Connection. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's stunning. If you watch the special features on the Blu-ray, they interview the stunt coordinators and everybody who like set up this entire sequence. And every like this one guy was basically like, oh, Friedkin basically told us if it's not better than the French Connection, it's not going to go in the film. So make it good. Which I love. Um, And it is wild the way this whole thing rolls out. Because, like, I I had heard in some of the interviews that John Panko is in the back seat. And William Peterson is actually driving a lot in this this sequence, which is crazy. It's like in the the river basin and then wrong way on the freeway kind of shit. It's really, really intense. But apparently John Panko was, like, actually freaking the fuck out. (laughs) There is. Point where he's making these sounds that cannot be faked. Like he's in the backseat <laughs> moaning and freaking out in a way that it felt way too real. Yeah. Oh God. And it's just, yeah, it's just really part of the whole aura of this film was that it's just really like keyed up and, you know, really exciting. I mean, there's this surprise ending, which is really shocking. I'm not going to give that away, but I just love this film. And like two to salute our all the way up king. I mean, it's like again, this was kind of another moment in his early career, I would say, where he was just totally weird and bonkers and like he has the slick back hair. He's like like the whole sequences with like him and his girlfriend who are are doing the like they're she's like a modern dancer and then they're in the dressing room and he just starts like trying to have sex with her in front of her coworkers and stuff. I'm like, what the fuck? Who, by the way, is Daphne from Frasier. Yeah, oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> I just put that together. You saying that. Yeah, it's Jane Just Leaves. clicked. It's Jane Leaves. Oh my <laughs> God. And Eric Rick Masters is like, I will try to bone you in front of Jane Leaves. You ain't gonna stop me. I cannot believe Daphne. Oh my God, because there's this part. There's like an epic part where she's like spread eagle on a couch <laughs> wearing like a little uh, Fredericks of Hollywood number. I am scandalized by that. Oh my God. Spread eggs. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Considering I've seen this movie five times now, I completely did not know that was her. Yep. That is crazy. But I, you know, but that's the thing is that he's such a perfect actor to play this kind of character. And, you know, he's perfect in that kind of art world creep way, but then in a psycho murdering, he at one point burns money naked in front of a fireplace. And I'm like, just crouching you have to say just crouching and burning money i'm naked burning money in a fireplace 
and so creepy. I think in both in both of our films, there's like this this theme of fire or this connection to flames yeah. and fire that I didn't realize until I watched both of them back to back. But it's yeah, he's really all the, he is so all the way up in this movie in a very sinister way. And yeah. something else that I really love that I learned about him in, in doing research for this show is that he doesn't usually have a stand-in. So he's very much like a workhorse kind of actor where he's like, no, I'm here. Like, I'm here to do the work. I'm here to do this. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was doing a lot of the stunts or doing a lot of the running or like doing a lot yeah. of what was required of him for this role because he likes being in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, I I really think we... <laughs> I think we fleshed out our points about Willem Dafoe being an all-the-way-up king. Both of these movies, I swear to God, like, together are is such a great double feature. I had so much fun watching them back-to-back. Same. It's great. Same. It was um, perfection. Yes. So, listen, if you want to email us, we are at asawatchdidpod at gmail.com. Send us questions for the bonus episodes. We also have a P.O. box. If you want to, send us a handwritten letter. And don't forget that you can leave us a voicemail to play on the show. So all you have to do is record a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at I saw what you did pod at gmail.com. Uh, make it 60 seconds or less and please record it in a quiet space. Yes, yes. Um, also, find us on our socials. I saw a pod on Instagram and Twitter. I'm thinking I might start a Blue Sky account. Would that be oh, yeah. weird? No, go for it. Okay. I'm not on Maybe it, we'll have a Blue it. Sky account. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Well, I just find that people are like, it's like a mass exodus off of X at this moment. So yeah. I was thinking if there are Blue Sky users out there, we'll maybe be on there pretty soon. Um, and also we have merch. Go to the I Saw What You Did section of the Exactly Right Shop to find it. And don't forget our bonus episodes. We got new bonus episodes dropping on the third Thursday of every month. And our old bonus episodes, they're still trickling out onto the main feed because we've got two years worth of bonus episodes to give you. So, Yep, yep. Uh, Danielle, do you want to tell them the movies for next week? I truly cannot fucking wait. Because <laughs> next week, we are watching She-Devil from 1989 and Friends with Money from 2006. Holy shit, what a double. I cannot wait. I'm Danielle- going to watch that as a true double feature because that is going to oh, be I- unhinged. Absolutely. Danielle... Always a fucking pleasure doing this podcast with you. It's the best. I, I mean, I clearly don't know you anymore, but it's the best. I'm going to keep oh, learning no, about you. Oh, no, you do. You do. Uh, bye. Bye. This has been an Exactly Right production. Produced by Casey O'Brien. Episode mixing and theme music by Tom Bryfogel. Artwork by Garrett Ross. Our executive producers are Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, and Daniel Kramer. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at IsawPod. And you can email us at IsawWhatYouDidPod at Gmail. Follow I Saw What You Did on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate and review the show. And visit ExactlyRightStore.com to purchase I Saw What You Did merch.